You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Bloomberg Audio Studios. Podcasts, radio, news. From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. I'm Caroline Hyde at Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up in the next hour, unpacking those earnings. DoorDash delivering the goods, but while the stock pulls back, while DraftKings is betting big on the lottery, conversations with both companies this hour. Plus, super micro drops, ending a sizzling rally that put the server company on a record-breaking week. We have an exclusive conversation with the company's CEO coming up. And OpenAI CEO Sam Altman is looking to get the green light from the U.S. government to raise billions for a massive venture to boost global manufacturing of those AI chips. We'll bring you the story. There's the here and now with DoorDash. I find DoorDash really interesting because it has performed really well. The technology story in the quarter was new product lines doing more stuff on the platform, but it was a high bar quarter. So when you look at their guidance for the full year in terms of gross bookings or orders, it seems strong, but clearly the stock is down 10%. So what is it that the street's not liking? It's hard to tell. And perhaps it's that EBITDA guidance not surpassing it for once. We're staying with DoorDash. Let's dig in with the CFO, Ravi Inukonda, joining us for those fourth quarter numbers. And I start with, well, the tough one, Ravi. The takeaway is not quite good enough. Can you talk us through perhaps the adjusted EBITDA number, the concerns creeping in? Or is it just that your stocks perform too well of late? 2023 uh, was uh, truly a transformative year for us. It was an inflection year for us, both from a growth as well as a profitability perspective. We've truly become a daily habit. Uh, more users than ever before are ordering from more categories than ever before. And at the same time, the business is doing really well where EBITDA is three times more in 23 compared to 2022 levels. And what we are trying to do is continue to drive innovation on the product front, introduce more products, introduce more features, features where we have users order from more categories across 30 different countries around the globe. You've helped that net loss, particularly driven down by efficiencies, particularly on the logistics side, Ravi. But what, therefore, for the bottom line, to meet your guidance, your own given guidance for EBITDA, adjusted EBITDA going forward, what do you need to do, do you think? 
Our goal is always to drive more users to the platform, continue to order more. Profitability in our business is driven by growth. We saw that in 23. Our goal is to continue to do the same in 2024. And at the same time, if you look at our operating expenses, they've been relatively flat for the last six quarters, while we've continued to drive revenue growth north of 30%. When I look at 2024, our goal is going to be the same, which is we're going to drive users, we're going to drive order frequency, we're going to continue to drive leverage from an overall operating expense perspective as well. Uh, Ravi, there are loads of names on the street that are saying there's nothing wrong with the report, nothing bad in it. Maybe they look at the full year bookings guidance and say that it, that it indicates maybe deceleration in the back end of the year. So let's put the numbers to one side. What does the world look like right now to DoorDash, both in terms of like driver supply, demand from the consumer, corporate demand? Consumer demand on the platform continues to be really strong. If you look at 23 in a year when people thought consumers were pulling back, our users set a record high. Our scale at 37 million consumers globally continues to order with us every single month. And usage levels have also increased where our order frequency has reached a record high. And from a supply perspective, we've been really well supplied. Supply has been as good as it's been over the last couple of years. When you look at the consumer demand, it's really strong. When you look at the supply side metrics, it continues to be really strong, which is allowing us to drive growth as well as the bottom line profitability that you're seeing in the business today. Robbie, I always think about DoorDash as like a really big software company. And we don't really ever talk about that side of the business, right? The creation of a marketplace, but also you're essentially offering software to third parties, making their back end. How is that side of your business doing? Our platform services business, which is the software aspect of our business, continues to do really well. Our goal is to be with where merchants want us to be. We want to power merchants with their own first-party channel. We offer a product called Storefront, which powers merchants' own websites. And at the same time, we are providing our logistics engines for merchants in order to help them augment their own service as well. You're not just serving merchants in the United States. You made a key acquisition, and I'm thinking of Walt in particular. The effort to go international, Ravi, do you stay in the countries you're in and expand from there, even though they're perhaps not as populated as others in Western Europe? Or do you look to acquire or build yourself elsewhere? Today, we are operating in about 28 countries outside the United States. When I look at our international business, it's growing really fast, sometimes even five to six times faster than peers, which is allowing us to gain share in virtually almost all of the markets that we operate in. Even in the markets that we operate in today, we are just serving a small fraction of the users. We have our hands full with our existing markets. We're gonna to continue to innovate in those markets by offering new products. We are bringing grocery to many of the international markets where the penetration levels in some countries are even higher than what we're seeing in the US. As always, our goal is to drive improvements in selection, drive improvements in quality, as well as affordability across all the countries that we operate in today. And let's talk about that affordability. Tony also echoing that, that really 2024 is about making sure that the service is affordable. How do you do that, Ravi, when we've got, you know, still a relatively inflationary environment, certainly here in the U.S.? Affordability is a key strategic priority for us and uh, top of mind. Today, more than half of our users do not pay any delivery fee, almost 18 million subscribers on our DashPass program. And we've launched that program just about five years ago, and we've saved consumers over $10 billion. 
And at the same time, we are innovating on the product side. We are really proud that low-income families can use government subsidies to be able to order groceries on the platform. And this is our way of giving back convenience, value, and time to our consumers. Ravi, uh, let's use free cash flow as a kind of strategy conversation. You know, you did really well 2023. But, you know, Caroline's bringing up some really kind of big points. There's a lot of anxiety, right, about credit card data. And I bring that up because at some point, the consumer might go away. Mm. And like your, your industry peers, you might have to say, we need to do more discounts, incentivizing, promotional work. And I'm assuming that that does impact free cash flow going forward. Free cash flow is a really important metric for us. If you look at uh, 2023, I'm really proud that we generated over 1.3 billion of free cash flow, which as you pointed out is an important health metric for us and investors when we look at the overall health of the business. Our focus has always been on product as well as innovation on in terms of technology. I mean, just a few examples. The way we are driving growth is today we have more than 150,000 stores that are outside of restaurants. Virtually, when I joined the company a few years ago, there was no stores that are grocery related on the platform. Our goal is to bring technology, bring product innovation to the 37 million consumers we have on the platform. And that's what's going to drive both growth as well as profitability in the business for us, which ultimately okay, what will is, drive. Ravi, what is the next technology frontier? What is the next new product for DoorDash? We are operating in three large segments restaurants, grocery, and international, each of which are roughly about a trillion dollars, where the penetration levels are still very, very early. I'm excited about the progress we've made, but we continue to drive more in terms of adding more categories, adding more selection, which is content on the platform, while making the product more affordable as well as high quality. If we continue to do that, we're going to drive more users, have them order more with us, which is ultimately going to drive profitability right. in the DoorDash CFO, Ravi and O'Connor, great to catch up with you here on the program. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. 
alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Supermicro stock has been on a roller coaster. Shares whipsawed in volatile trading today, threatening to derail what's set to be or was set to be the server maker's best week on record. I'm delighted to say Supermicro's founder, president and CEO Charles Liang joins us now. Uh, live. Uh, Charles, good morning to you and, and welcome to the program. Let's start there. Okay, let's just get it done. Hi. The yeah, stock good has been on a good morning. The stock has been on a wild ride. Is your company fairly valued? Uh, yes, I mean, uh, as you know, we deliver the best generative AI platform in the world, uh, especially in terms of time to market. Whenever new technology is available, uh, we are able to deliver new product to the market. And uh, we deliver product in a system level or rack scale. We call a rack. Uh, plug and play. Uh, when customers receive our drag, they are ready to to be online. Just plugging two cable, data cable, and a power cable, and then they are ready to be online. So customers like right. our uh, good quality, time to market, and ready to run. Charles, there's clearly a lot of excitement in the market that whatever is happening in, in AI infrastructure investment, you are a core beneficiary. But one of the questions that Caroline and I get for you consistently is what is it that Supermicro does that's any different from your biggest competitors, names like Dell, HPE? <laughs> very good question. Yes, we have something special. First, we are a very lucky company. Since 30 years ago, I founded a company, Supermicro. We use building block solution, uh, modularized design, to build our server, to build our total solution. And the building block solution enables us to design products more efficiently, with better quality, better inventory leverage, and better uh, service uh, efficiency. That's why we are able to deliver new technology time to market earlier than others. And plus our uh, two global company, we have an engineer working in San Jose Bay Area, um, and also a big team in Taiwan. So with two teams, uh, Asia and USA, so we are able to design product more efficiently uh, than others, basically. And we can see, for our radio audience, we can see well, the products that you make behind you. And I'm interested, Charles, the scale of the market size here, the total addressable market. How big can it be? How big a chunk of the pie are you going to get? Oh, yeah, that's uh, another advantage we have. We design products in Bay Area and manufacture in Bay Area and global as well. So, I mean, uh, we work with customers from design stage, validation stage, until we ship the product to customers, make them plug and play. And yes, we have a huge capacity ready now. In Silicon Valley alone, we are able to build a 4,000 rack per month, or equal to about 15,000 systems. Uh, per month. And in Asia, in Europe, we also have a production uh, capability there. So uh, basically, we are able to build uh, uh, enough server for our customer. But now, as you know, the shortage, the chip shortage. So once uh, we have a more supply from the chip company like NVIDIA, then we can ship more to customer. Let's talk about the chip makers the NVIDIAs. But you're kind of agnostic here, right? You take chips from Intel, you take chips from NVIDIA. What are your relationships like? 
<laughs> okay, indeed, we both company are founded in 1993. So both companies are 30 years old company. We start to work together almost since day one. So with 30 years relationship, engineering, partnership, and then go to market, define the market as big. So we have been working very closely. However, we hope they have more chip available. <laughs> Charles, do you have a number a, a dollar value for the total addressable market that you see for your company in the context of an AI infrastructure build-out? Uh, you know, we always uh, facing to a big back order. <laughs> so uh, the market size is growing. Right? As you know, AI boom uh, basically just start. We believe uh, the market have a big room to grow, and lots of uh, industry leaders have the same feeling. So uh, as, as of today, our production capacity can support uh, our revenue up to $25 billion, for example. But we need more chip, like what I just mentioned. So again, the market continues to grow, and uh, we continue to get market share because of better product, because of uh, rack scale, uh, uh, plug and play. So we are continuing growing our uh, production capacity uh, in United States and globally as well. For our Bloomberg television and radio audience, we're speaking to Supermicro CEO Charles Liang. Charles, uh, when we said that you were coming on the program, our audience had many questions. One of them is about the SEC action taken against your company in August of 2020. The SEC charged Supermicro and the former CFO of the company with what they called widespread accounting violations and some numbers presented by the company. Could you update our audience and your investor base on where that process is and if you've put those concerns behind you? Oh, yeah, those concerns have been uh, behind us for many years. So uh, first, uh, we uh, uh, study detail, hey, where we can improve uh, during that few years. And then we uh, uh, add more uh, talent, more uh, expertise, like our new CFO, uh, David Wagon. So we have been uh, improving our system, and today our system, uh, I, maybe I cannot say perfect in accounting uh, concern, but have been uh, much stronger than before ever. And uh, we will continue to improve. Thank you. I'm interested in, therefore, when you see the stock market move, the anticipation of growth, the fact that you're seeing, well, only one current analyst on your stock is saying sell after the huge rally that you've had, 250% just this year alone. What do you do as the leader in the face of that, of that bullishness? Do you start to sell your stock? Are you starting to buy more of it, as some of your members of your board have been doing? I guess the most important is the product. Again, uh, the market demand is so strong. And it's turned out we have the best product, uh, not just technology time to market, but quality and application optimized. With our building block solution, we are able to customize our system easily to specifically optimize for customers' workload for their data center environment. Doesn't matter for air cooling, uh, free air cooling or liquid cooling. So all of those make our product uh, really popular around the market. And I believe we will continue to gain market share and uh, continue to grow. So it sounds like you're long. <laughs> Charles, I'm, I'm interested in, well, your 
expertise, let's put it, in geopolitics, in global supply chains, in the fact that you had to pull out your manufacturing from China previously because of ultimately the Chinese intelligence services inserting malicious components into your server motherboards. It was like the story of 2018. How do you see that restriction on supply and, and the ongoing relationship between the US and China now and it affecting your business? Okay, I mean, uh, we are USA company located in Silicon Valley, so for sure we follow the national law, the country compliance very well. And that's number one. And then we try to service customer uh, global as much as we could, especially customer in USA. So today, most of our production uh, facility are in USA and partial in Taiwan, and we are developing a new campus in Malaysia. So in terms of uh, product security, uh, reliability, supply chain, uh, I believe we are in uh, uh, one of the best uh, position. Just need more of those chips. Charles Liang, it has been great speaking with you. An extraordinary share price move and great to have some time with you today to see the product behind you as well for our TV audience. Our radio audience thanks you for your time too. Super Micro CEO, Charles Liang there. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Where is it with its AI capabilities? They've been racing, in fact, to near the completion of a critical new software tool for app developers that could potentially rival Microsoft's GitHub Copilot. And according to sources, it could be available to third-party software makers as early as this year. Here with more, of course, the man with the scoop, Mark Gurman. We're pleasure to welcome you, as always. Just talk us through. We'd all been waiting with bated breath as to ultimately how Apple adopts AI. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So, 2024... It's the year of AI for Apple, generative AI in large language models to be specific. The company is working on several new artificial intelligence initiatives to run on both the iPhone 
and the Mac. And one of the most important things is setting your sort of infrastructure and foundation to integrate AI into your products. And the most core thing you can do is add artificial intelligence to your programming right. tools. That's Xcode. That's the software used by developers inside Apple and outside Apple. So they'll be adding AI to that. I'm really interested, Mark, on, on the pressure that Craig Federighi is under because if you read the detail in your story, which is terrific, by the way, you know the board was given a demo of, of the latest in AI at the end of last year, and they've almost real. They basically said, "You three, key personnel, give us the product." Yeah, Craig Federighi, he's Apple's senior vice president of software engineering. He's really taken the bull by the horn here. Uh, he's a huge proponent of LLMs and generative AI. When ChatGPT started to hit the market a couple of years ago, he was the one really pushing and investigating, is Apple going to miss out on this technology? Does Apple need to integrate this technology? Uh, and so Federighi, along with Apple's cloud services organization, as well as the artificial intelligence organization, right, run by Eddie Q and John Jean Andrea specifically, uh, those three groups have been working together on these Gen AI initiatives with Federighi implementing it uh, into iOS. The, the Gen AI, the underlying technology is obviously developed by Apple's AI group, but it's Federighi who's consumerizing that technology uh, and they plan to release that as part of iOS 18 this year, uh, which I expect to be one of the biggest updates, if not the most significant update in the 16 year right. history of right. the iPhone. Bloomberg's Mark Gurman ahead of the game. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Caroline Hyde in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. Go to Applied Materials, chip equipment maker. 45% of revenue still coming from China. But their signals were really strong, Caro. And we're basically saying, OK, if this is the leading US maker of chip equipment or chip making equipment and they're getting orders, what does that mean about the investment cycle in 2024? And what does it mean about end markets? It's actually finally a positive sign in the chip space. Maybe we should dig into it. Let's do that. We've got the perfect guest, Janet Moy head of market analysis at RBC Bruin Dolphin. And Janet, great to have your real semiconductor expertise here. Where are we in this cycle? What do you read into applied materials? And ultimately, the, the forecasts are pretty rosy. 
Hi, uh, thanks for having me. Um, we are pretty, pretty positive on the semiconductor cycle. I think right now we are uh, seeing a bottoming out. We saw that from the applied materials earnings results. And aside from that, we also have previously seen uh, TSMC, ASML also uh, showing signs of uh, you know the end of the destocking cycle and also strong demand for AI chips. So I think this gives us uh, more confidence on our conviction on uh, bullish view on the semiconductor sector. So that's the cyclical side of things. And the structural side is very exciting, obviously, uh, with AI in the key driver's seat. And also, I think uh, there is a lot of need to build out the AI infrastructure with a lot of uh, upgrades, uh, more sophisticated chips, etc. So I think in terms of the semiconductor manufacturers, the foundries, they are going to benefit from these trends uh, regardless of the end market. And we hold our breath for Wednesday. NVIDIA comes with its numbers, Janet. And I'm, I'm interested, we were just having a conversation with Charles Liang, who's, of course, the CEO of Supercomputer, Supermicrocomputer. And I'm interested in his, like, ultimately, the infrastructure. And he needs the chips. He's saying that there isn't enough supply. Where do we stand on this push full of supply-demand dynamics? Yeah, so I think um, right now there is a, clearly a lot of demand out there. And if you look at NVIDIA, there's no shortage of demand. I think it's more about a supply capacity problem. So I think uh, that, that is the reason why we are uh, more positive on the you know the um, equipment manufacturer, the semiconductor manufacturer, the picks and shovels play, because um, the world needs all these AI chips and the manufacturing capacity to deliver all these uh, orders. So I would say um, that there is strong demand that has yet to be met by a stronger supply capacity. Janet, good morning from San Francisco. How worried are you about the stickiness of inflation given the week we had in economic data? Um, I think uh, recently the inflation data in the US did show a bit of uh, stickiness and a bit of uh, reacceleration uh, in the headline uh, and the producer prices today. I think it, it just raised a bit of a concern, although if you look ahead to the 12 month or 24 month view, I think it's still more likely than not that inflation is going to come down. I think primarily if you look at the money supply growth, it is uh, trending lower. And I think that's really a pretty good indicator of uh, inflation going forward. And I think uh, inflation expectation for consumers is still pretty steady. There's no worrying sign from there. So I, I would say on a 12-month view, pretty confident it's still going down. But I think I think together with the economic resilience, I think that there is probably less argument for uh, a lot of rate cuts this year. So I think uh, even a couple, you know, three, four rate cuts uh, could be at risk. You know, Caroline, we've got to give some sympathy to the market out there. Imagine trying to be an investor and learn about the technology sector from earnings season and then think about inflation. And it's not easy, that, Janet, to do that. That's why they pay the big bucks, Ed. That's why they pay right. the big bucks. Right. You know, let's, let's end the week on a positive. You know, we're coming to kind of the, 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 the end of what's been a very busy 1Q earnings season, Janet. What did you learn about the technology sector in the last few weeks? I think uh, generally the um, earnings delivery is still pretty strong. I think uh, for some of these mega cap companies, they're still trading on relatively attractive uh, PE multiples. Um, obviously, uh, some of the names uh, that they're getting more expensive, but if you look actually versus the uh, 2021 levels, the, the multiples are not outrageous. And if you look at the um, uh, the 
PE multiples uh, overgrowth, that's even more appealing. So I think there is still likely further room to go for these uh, technology mega caps. And obviously, you have to distinguish between uh, some of that. But uh, overall speaking, our um, more conviction is on the semiconductor, uh, particularly the manufacturing and equipment producers. Janet Marie, Head of Market Analysis at RBC Bruin Dolphin. We love having you on the show. Happy Friday. Join us again soon. Look, we talked about the public markets. Let's talk about the private markets in today's VC Spotlight and bring in Battery Ventures General Partner Darmesh Saka, who's with me here on set in San Francisco. You heard my preamble about if you're an LP and you're thinking, where do I put my money? You could go and just get 5% on Treasuries right now. And then you've got your desk sitting there going, well, hold on, I, I, I would like to take some of your capital. Is that a real in- factor for you right now, where rates are, your ability to, to raise more capital if you wanted to for a new fund? For first and foremost, uh, Ed and Caroline, thank you for having me here. Um, I don't think our LPs who've been with us for 40 years think about macroeconomic cycles in two, three-year windows and compare us to what the risk-free rate is. They look at the innovation cycle and say, hey, in the course of 10, 20 years, can you create 100 to trillion dollar behemoths? Does battery or the funds they invest in have a good chance at getting in those behemoths? And if so, it's going to well pay for itself. Uh, so most of the LPs don't necessarily compare VC returns to the risk-free rate per se, uh, and they make 10-year allocations. But having said that, there is certainly a lot of pressure because it feels like the winners have gotten much larger. There's mega winners, and the VC funds that are involved in those winners will see a pretty nice payday, while there's going to be a lot of losers, and there's a lot of first-time funds that got LP money, which will be challenged to raise the next fund. So it's a zero or one game. You either get in the mega winners, and you make a substantial return, or you don't, in which case you don't raise money at any cost. The, the reason I, I find battery ventures interesting is you have some scale. You know, the deployable capital is, is up there. 40 years of experience, as you pointed out. Mm-hmm. But also, you, you, you're pretty broad. You know, consumer, industrial technology, software. Where are you focused most out of that, that pretty broad spectrum? Battery has historically made a call to go deep in software. Even if you're in industrials or healthcare, there's a software element to most of these companies. Uh, and so I would say 85 to 90% of what we do is business software. And within that, we have a global presence. So we'll look for the best companies in US, Europe, and Israel. We have offices all over the world. Uh, and we'll find them mostly at the Series A or B stage, but sometimes we're also willing to go late stage or take control of uh, a company in a private equity style transaction. So we're very focused on business software. That, that part of the, uh, the economy keeps on growing, uh, and we're very bullish on that. We feel the software market could grow from $2 trillion over the last 10 years to over 4 or $5 trillion on the heels of AI. And so we're very excited about that market and stay committed to it. You've backed some real winners in the private market of artificial intelligence. I think of Databricks at the moment. And we've heard from the CEO of that particular business sort of anticipating that eventually battery, the ultimate infrastructure costs or the money that they have to put in the chip costs, for example, for AI are going to plummet. We are going to make it more cheaply. But where do you see the opportunities to be investing in artificial intelligence? Is it the picks and shovels? Is it the software layer, the applications? Great, great question, Caroline. So we've looked up and down the stack, uh, and I feel like uh, the infrastructure layer, the picks and shovels, as you say, the large language models, the core chipsets that, uh, that make up the AI stack, those are very important businesses, but I don't think these are venture-backable, in my humble opinion. Mm. If you look at the last couple of technology revolutions, look at Amazon, Google, Microsoft, cloud services. They're part of Amazon, Google, Microsoft, because they need tens of billions of dollars, and they need a captive customer base of 10 to 20,000 customers where you can try out these services. In much the same way, 
Monet, OpenAI, Anthropic, Cohere, Mistral, the very important elements of the AI stack, but they need tens of billions of dollars multiple years before you know there's unit economics that makes sense. And that is just not a venture-backable business. And it totally makes sense that Microsoft has invested $10, $12 billion in OpenAI, and Google and Amazon are investing in their competitors. However, what we're excited about is the higher layers of the stack. If you look at the middleware stack, if you look at the cloud revolution the last 10 years, you had companies like Datadog and Mongo and Snowflake and Palo Alto Networks that make up the databases, the monitoring, the security stack. Uh, in much the same way, you're going to see a similar uh, play out in the AI place where you see a vector database to store the data for AI. You see monitoring of models, companies like Arise and others that are monitoring these models. You see mm -hmm. security for AI. And so I think that market will play to the 100 to 200 billion dollars spent in the uh, in the middleware stack. But the most exciting part of AI, I think, is the application stack. Uh, if you think about just the human labor that is inefficient, that uh, can be automated and augmented by AI, I think there's a lot of promise there. So, uh, Just to follow up on that, Damesh, how does OpenAI and Microsoft not just eat all of that lunch? I mean, are we seeing really viable competitors be able to get specific? Is it about going really deep into one particular industry group, going all in on legal, all in on healthcare? Because ultimately, it feels like they've got some really tough, well-monetized competitor out there. Yeah, I think it's a fair point. I would think Microsoft is more focused on the trillion dollars spent in semiconductors and NVIDIA and building their own chip than trying to go build an HR software company. You know, if I'm Microsoft or Google, if you're a two or three trillion dollar company, a $10 billion business doesn't really move the needle. You gotta get into a business that is hundreds of billions, call it semiconductor systems, and compete with each other, and it benefits you to go be the Switzerland and have companies go build applications on you. Just like the Apple marketplace, iOS marketplace benefited by having millions of developers build apps. Mm -hmm. Apple didn't have to compete with them. Each of them paid the Apple tax. In much the same way, Azure and OpenAI, Google and Anthropic, Amazon and Anthropic can build the substrate on which applications can be built. And the ones who get the most number of applications built are the ones who benefit. And that drives trillions of dollars in value for them. I don't think they need to go compete with their customers. Uh, it probably is not the right business model for them. Meanwhile, you back those customers. Battery Ventures, general partner. Damesh Thacker could talk for so much longer. We thank you so much for your time. Meanwhile, coming up, we'll take a closer look at DraftKings, the fourth quarter results, CEO Jason Robbins. A lot to dig into there, as well as the M&A that they announced. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice, or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done.
Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash futureinvestor slash radio. Take a look at DraftKings shares, kind of up 1%. It's been a choppy session after the company reported fourth quarter results announcing that they would buy the lottery app Jackpocket for $750 million in a cash and stock deal. Delighted to say, to walk us through the numbers, CEO Jason Robbins. Actually, where I want to start, Jason, and good morning to you, there's a note out from Morgan Stanley that says the results in the quarter gone were impacted by unfavorable sports results. And it just goes back to the idea that, that there's a marketplace you operate. What do you make of that? Well, I think that you know when you're taking action on sports, then sometimes you're subject to those outcomes, and sometimes they swing the better's way, and sometimes they swing the book's way. This happened to be the worst two-week stretch of, uh, or I should say the most customer-friendly two-week stretch of outcomes we've seen since becoming a public company. And, you know, that happens. It, uh, over the course of time, it certainly swings, uh, you know, either way and it evens out. But in a quarter, um, you know, you can get bit. And in this case, we had just issued guidance uh, and reaffirmed it in our investor day literally the week before. And so, you know, sometimes that happens timing-wise. But if you adjust for that, the underlying fundamentals of the business were incredibly strong. I mean, that was why we were able to raise our guidance for this year by so much. On the revenue side, we increased our adjusted EBITDA guidance by 15%. That was really due to a record uh, customer acquisition quarter as well as uh, really strong engagement from our existing players. So the, the M&A piece was really interesting. And, it, you know, I guess, do you just see it as a new market that you wanted to move into? What, what was the motivation there? Well, we did some analysis to uh, directly compare our customer base with theirs, and there was significant overlap. So we feel good that it's an audience that really crosses over, and with actual CRM and, and real cross-sell marketing, we think we can increase that significantly. The other thing we saw was that the customers that overlapped actually spent more by about 50% uh, with DraftKings on average than the customers who did not overlap with Jackpocket's audience. So not only are there, is there good crossover it's also a higher value customer that we can cross sell so there's a lot to like there and we think this really you know this is all about CAC and LTV that's the nature of the business how do you get the customers on the platform as efficiently as possible and then how do you engage them uh, and keep them and get the highest LTVs over time as possible and so anything that helps on either side of that equation let alone both like this does I think really will strengthen our ability to compete and win in the US online gaming uh, industry and so that's really what it's about that's our focus and we feel like this is a huge step forward for that tell us about the equation that you have to decide on whether to build or buy why buy in this occasion Jason well, the team that we got is incredible. Pete and his team are really sharp and understand this market and understand this customer better than anyone I've ever met. Also, the technology they've built is hard. You know, it's, it's not easy to build a system that can scale uh, to fulfill in multi-state in this type of setup. So um, really, that is tough. We, we looked at, you know, potentially different options, and we felt like this team was the best, and also the technology they built is the best. So uh, while I certainly...
certainly think there's always different ways to approach things. Um, and of course, we think we got a good deal too. That always is mm -hmm. part of it. But I think there's always different ways to approach things. And in this case, we felt like the combination of the team we were getting and the technology they built was just too good to pass up. Talking of different ways to approach things, and we are indeed speaking with Jason Robbins, DraftKings CEO, to our TV and radio audiences. What about this new sports streaming bundle? What about Disney getting into bed with Fox, with Warner Brothers? What do you make of it? Do you think it'll get through the regulators? Well, it'll be really interesting to see. I mean, first of all, I'm not surprised that you're seeing deals like that. Obviously, we've seen the media industry get really disrupted by streaming, and sports has sort of been that thing that everybody's kind of still waiting to see. How does this evolve? How does this shake out? Um, and so you're going to continue to see more innovation, more disruptive deals. And um, you know where it all shakes out, I don't know. If I did, I, I'd be uh, you know I'd be making more bets on those spaces than I am. But uh, it's not not our world. We're kind of watching. And and, and waiting to see and I think you know usually in those situations opportunities to partner with new interesting ventures can emerge so um, we'll have to see how it all shakes out but certainly a fascinating time in the sports media space. Jason what's the next step in in DraftKings technology story you know what is it you want to do with the platform and what do you want to build? Well, first, I think we still have a lot to do to just continue to create an incredible product in OSB and iGaming for our customers. Uh, Jackpocket, uh, hopefully when we close that, uh, that'll be something that there's a lot of runway. They still have only launched scratchers in one or two states and a lot more to go there, I think. So tons to do on the product side just to continue to build out and, and reach you know a wider audience and also provide more interesting things for people to engage in. I think on the sports betting side, live betting and game betting continues to be a big untapped opportunity. We're seeing it naturally increase and that's without, I think, a lot of the core piece of the ecosystem like broadcast latency totally figured out across sports so a lot of room I think still to grow in, in many areas of the product and we're going to continue focusing on the customer listening to what our customers say and trying to deliver a great experience for them. Jason Robbins always great catching up with you thanks so much busy busy old week DraftKings CEO. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop Customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash futureinvestor slash radio.
I mean, it was a sensation online. Yesterday, OpenAI's new text-to-video generator called Sora. The company announced its launch on X yesterday. The model currently available to only a small number of researchers and creatives who will basically stress test it before a broader public release. Let's bring in Bloomberg's Rachel Metz. And first of all, we're all bowled over by just the beauty of what's created and ultimately what any future filmmaker is going to be doing. Yeah, I mean, I think the quality that they are showing off with some of these videos is really phenomenal and it looks certainly better than other examples I've seen and I've seen as many as I can of these AI um, generative video uh, creation systems over the past few years. They've gotten a lot better um, but this one seems to be better and to be able to generate lengthier videos that, that seem to work than other people have created. Uh, let's point out, though, that the first thing they did with it was generate content that's dog-related or puppy-related, which is not a shock to anyone. Uh, but, Cara, I think what's interesting, and Bloomberg's Rachel Metz, key with the reporting there, thank you, is safety question, right? That we go straight to the question about how do we know what is AI generated and what is not. Uh, a story that I broke with some colleagues uh, about OpenAI and its CEO, Sam Altman, he's working to get a green light, Cara, mm. from the US government. He wants approval or a blessing to move forward with that massive venture to boost the global output of AI chips. And sources are telling us that there's a risk here that it raises a national security and antitrust look by lawmakers on the Hill and also government agencies. You know, we've been he has been meeting with investors, particularly in the Middle East and Asia, over the last few weeks. I'm hearing that in D.C. that is a particular concern. I can imagine. I mean, the amount of money that they want to raise, the investment is eye-watering. But most of all, I think these conversations with Gina Raimondo that you've been reporting on, key, I mean, he wants to work in lockstep here, really, with the government, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. And, you know, the final thing about it is he can get money from anywhere. <laughs> Seems so. Meanwhile, that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. Uh, massive show. Recap on the podcast. That's where we publish it. It has been an amazing week. This is Bloomberg Technology. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for the Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash radio.